You're listening to Post Call, Frontline Health Stories, hosted with Dr. Anita Gupta. In this episode, we feature a conversation with Somia Bajaj from the World Bank. A former Goldman Sachs analyst, she is currently appointed at the World Bank headquarters in Washington, D.C., leading large-scale infrastructure projects to develop the global economies of diverse regions to improve business growth focused in both the United States and India. Somia has worked with the government of Brazil and the African Development Bank to increase investment in pharmaceutical manufacturing and make medicines affordable and accessible. Over her career, she has focused her work on the improvement of the quality of health. She is the author of Their Way, The Highway, which are personal accounts of the people she worked with across the country of India. As a co-founder of Citizens for Public Leadership, she trains the youth to engage in politics, and she's determined to involve the brightest minds to ensure equitable access for the most vulnerable populations focused on health equity, economics, and education. Ms. Bajaj attended Princeton University for a master's in economics and public policy with a focused interest in equitable access and education. Welcome, Somia. Thank you so much for being here with us today. As you know, COVID-19 has become the great equalizer of world health. And with your experience of working around the globe and with many different countries, including the World Bank, I would like to hear your thoughts on the current crisis and what you believe the future impact on our economy and health will be. And what has been your advice from your mentors? Yes, that's such a wonderful question because uh, it is, and I would like to take that a step forward. And uh, it's not just advice from my mentors, but also the advice from my, uh, my field visits. So across the four years, I have had over 500 in-depth interviews with people whose voices we don't generally hear. Uh, these are old women uh, from uh, tribal families in areas of Odessa in India, uh, which, uh, which we, from whom we don't hear. Second, I also spoke to many children who are first-generation learners and walk over three hours to get to their school in the mountainous regions of the Himalayas in Himachal Pradesh. Um, And their teachers who have been staying away from their own families to be able to serve these children. To the parents who find it so challenging to send their children to school because they would rather have them help them on the farms. It is the experience of these people that has driven me so much. And one of the things that I starkly remember everyone saying is that you need to keep the the stakeholder that you're serving at the center of your design. When we were trying to improve the education system, you cannot do that without understanding the constraints of the student. Um, at the center and how that has helped me now in my work is for example when I work in uh, regions of Africa you cannot discount that these are places with very limited internet access with very limited electricity access 
uh, with difficulty to get clean water. So these global uh, sort of bl blanket advices of let's maintain social distancing, let's wash hands regularly, don't apply to these families because they don't have access to that clean water. They don't have the floor space that is needed to maintain social distancing. And keeping the people's needs and constraints and availability of resources at the center helps me think through what is it that they can practically do without making it seem like they're just not doing enough. It's very easy to say that, oh, these families don't understand or these families don't care. We see the news, for example, in India, where people are rushing to get food. People are rushing to sort of fill their buckets of water so that it can last them two through three days. And these are crowded spaces. And these are not crowded spaces because the, the people in that region in India enjoy being in crowded spaces. These are crowded spaces because that's the nature of that, of that region. They don't have per capita floor space to maintain six feet distance. So unless we look at the challenges from their perspective, we're never going to fix it. That is an amazing perspective that you've shared. And I think it's interesting because here in the United States, you know, we, we take social distancing and six feet distance for granted. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you're bringing in the perspective of those who don't have access to that, just that, yeah. raises significant questions on how do we bring in equity and access to those areas so that they can can get that and absolutely absolutely and, and here i would like to point out um another thing of like just visualizing this sort of context because uh, we're all familiar with uh, with movies that have been made on these regions and i'll pick up the oscar-winning movie uh, slumdog millionaire like when you see the trains, uh, the local trains uh, that are shown in the movie that run through Mumbai, you see that these are crowded trains where people are in close proximity to one another. And there are two things to take away from that picture. One is that you cannot avoid that physical proximity. And second is the nature of work of the people who take these trains. 80% of the people that take these trains are in the informal sector. And the informal sector doesn't have the luxury of working from home. They work to get the next meal on the table. And you cannot expect them to socially distance because each distance that they take takes them farther away from their next meal. And not just theirs, but also their families. And the only way you bridge that gap now is through in improving the access to health resources, not just for those that have good health insurances, that have good doctors on call, but for all of those for whom uh, we haven't really paid close attention to improve health access. So given this, given these, these areas that you're focused on, how does the health space, which we perceive as so niche and specialized and only really becomes activated around the world when there's a crisis such as COVID-19, how has this driven equitable access around the world? That is such a wonderful question, Anita, because it reminds me of a popular quote that says that plague is the greatest equalizer. And that 
I think is at the core of the amazing work that all the health workers and all the frontline workers are doing at this time of crisis, where doctors from where, whether it's in the US, whether it's in developed countries, um, even in Europe, or it is in developing countries and regions of Africa, South Asia, um, doctors are not creating differences in, in where their client is coming from. They're breaking these barriers using technology and using other modes of communication to reach the people that most need it. So for example, I, uh, I see that so many governments are taking wonderful initiatives, like there, is, there are initiatives being taken in Argentina where doctors are creating videos from home uh, and making that available to the most vulnerable communities. And they talk through it in a very humane, in-person manner, such that the person receiving the video understands what are the symptoms that they should be watching out for. How can they test? How can they um, take care of themselves and their families? Given their constraints, how can they make the most of what they have? And doctors have taken this additional step and collaborated with governments, data experts, as well as uh, tech experts to improve uh, and make their services more accessible. In, their, in, uh, in so many regions in Africa, I've seen that like, there are one-line messages, there are health tips that are being widely dispersed over WhatsApp, over uh, other local message streams, and are being centrally monitored and sent by local governments so that there is no fake news being sent. So we are living in a world where so many people do not consider or don't have the privilege, like good health has become a privilege. And right now, because this crisis is one that's not hitting people based on where they, where they are, it's hitting everybody equally. And when the, when the, pandemic, when the virus is not differentiating, I hope that we're able to also have that same spirit in treating people such that we make the quality of healthcare accessible to everybody. And there I see a very, very high potential for equalizing healthcare access. Such an important point about how COVID-19 and health crises has been the great equalizer around the world and, and surely will continue to as we move forward. Somia, how do you how do you perceive the world will change post-COVID? And do you see any specific lessons learned that we can glean from? I mean, more than lessons, because right now we're still in the middle of the crisis where it's hitting at different points at different countries. We're still sort of uh, struggling to and scrambling day and night to find the vaccine, to find uh, the cure to this. And a lot of learnings are being, being taken from the 1918 flu, which killed over 50 million people around the world. And that makes me think about this crisis on multiple levels. We just discussed about how it can be a great equalizer for health access. But we do have to, I do want to put a few things out there which are true and I think are important to outline as we move forward. One is that 
vulnerable communities are being disproportionately affected more because of this crisis than others. People who can afford to stay at home, people who can afford to let go of their jobs or who have the ability to be able to work from home are much safer than the informal workers in developing countries and in uh, low-income communities, even in developed nations that do have to go to work. There are communities that are having to bear the burden of this crisis more and having to put themselves at the front lines more. And the death rates and the racial uh, breakup of the death rates say that low-income communities and marginalized communities uh, are, are being disproportionately affected. In developing countries like India, the informal workers, the migrant workers are facing high, high death rates. Uh, so we have a long, long way to go. What I do hope for the, in terms of a forward-looking perspective, is that there's going to be a very, very important role of technology. Health access now does not only mean being able to go to a doctor's chamber, but Anita, like you yourself, are making yourself available to so many people on call. Doctors are resorting to um, web facilities to be able to reach their patients. So many doctors in uh, so many communities have collaborated with social enterprises uh, to, to create mechanized follow-ups. Um, I know so many examples and I would uh, be willing to share a list with you uh, where social enterprises in, in India, in Southeast Asia, also have, um, have created follow-up mechanisms. They've created applications where they are tracking the patients on a regular basis. And this sort of shows the role of collaboration and the role of technology to bring different disciplines together, whether it's health, whether it's community engagement, whether it's uh, jobs, the nature of jobs are going to change. And uh, what it's doing, so for example, a lot of Middle Eastern countries and North African countries, they're creating institutional mechanisms to, to safeguard their informal workers, such as construction workers. They're giving them better uh, health opportunities. They're giving them better health coverages. They're giving them proper protective equipment. And these are questions and these are problems that have remained for many, many years. But finally, a time of crisis like this to a large extent is pushing and forcing governments and institutions to act on it. And I think that's a positive and we need to keep moving in that direction. So that's on the role of technology. And the third I would say is on the role of uh, climate change and the importance, sorry, of climate change where we've seen falling, uh, uh, falling carbon levels across the world. And as you will know better, Anita, like, clean air is so important for our health well-being and i think this has shown people the importance of that the importance of clean air the importance of healthy uh, well-being and only when governments step in and only when policies are made in that direction will we see that institutional change and will we see companies firms transport lines, uh, the way we do business, responding to it and moving to low carbon. And I think 
on on equitable health access front on the changing nature of work because of technology and third on the importance of focusing on climate change and moving towards low carbon um, if we do things collectively and create a global response uh, we will move and come out much stronger on the other side of this crisis do you have any final advice for our listeners who maybe at home trying to around the world trying to determine what the best next steps are or if this crisis will ever end the crisis will end i mean it's going to take time and it will end and i have gained the most strength and most perspective from reading up on the 1918 crisis when the spanish flu broke out at that time we were also in the middle of a war and families were not only dealing with the health crisis like the pandemic at that time but they were also dealing with a political crisis of being in the middle of a war and even then there were so many so many places where nurses were were going to people's homes to take care of them where uh, communities were stepping up where governments that introduced social distancing norms before others came out much stronger than uh, than those regions where they just did not think where they just dismissed the the pandemic for being a minor flu and in those areas it exacerbated much much more than places that took it seriously and responded early on what i will say to our listeners is is to be patient we're all we're all going through a very tough time we're all being hit in different ways uh, i'm sitting uh, talking to uh, talking to so many of you and connecting virtually but also emotionally really far away from my family and my loved ones and to some extent we're all facing that but we're lucky like the fact that those who are listening to this are people who have access to internet and when you have that that connection works like a road right you could take the road and travel to your people but also now you are able to ride the internet and travel to the room of your loved one who might be sitting miles away and i think this is a great time to count our blessings and also to extend our services and do the best we can i spend a lot of time thinking about what i can do in my capacity if this time has given me some additional space in my time then what do i do and what it's helping me do is to go back to your first question of who are my mentors uh is to pursue my passion of being able to do something in the health space what i do know how to do well is to listen to people's voices and create solutions that are contextually relevant and keep the stakeholder and keep the voice and the problems of the people in the center especially the vulnerable communities and this is giving me time to connect with my loved ones who are far away virtually and also work and do my duty towards the communities that need it most and that keeps me going and keeps me motivated and inspired and because i'm deriving so much energy from that i would say uh that connecting and reflecting and serving in the best way we can would be great if our listeners can contribute and uh, help us come out stronger on the other side thank you so much somia for your insights 
for your points and for the important lesson about keeping our stakeholders in the center of our work. Thank you. Thank you for joining Postcall. Frontline Health Stories Impacting Society Today, hosted by Dr. Anita Gupta.